inconveniences with the slides. That was uh, technical issues, but welcome to Southridge Baptist Church. So honored that you would be here this morning. Welcome. This is your first time here. You are our honored guest. Excited to have you. It's going to be another great day in God's house, which is actually in the theater. So I'm excited for you to be here. It's going to be great. I'm looking forward to it. Uh, we're going to be in Genesis chapter number 45, if you have your Bibles. And uh, Genesis 45 is where we're going to be. I can't tell you enough how much I appreciated that special. I think there are some elements in that song that I think each and every one of us can just kind of nod our head and say, yep, my life could have been portrayed in that song. That God's blessings sometimes come with the raindrops. Sometimes we wouldn't pick for God to work in our lives that way. Maybe, maybe some things have happened where you would say, you know what, I didn't ask for it. But I wouldn't change it. I wouldn't change what God did in my life. I didn't necessarily want it, but I can see coming out of the other side what God was doing in it and through it. Well, this past week we have started a new series last Sunday. And last Sunday we really kicked it off. It's God is. God is. And um, what's incredible about this topic and this series, and I'm just going to kind of skip through here just for a minute, just... Let me pull this up. What's awesome about this thought is, and last week we were talking about how God is just incredible. God is big. God is great. God is awesome. And we left out of here just, just a bigger view of God from our human perspective. And just, just stepping back and trying to get a picture of how awesome God is. And uh, we really built that up last week. Last week, that was just kind of the real crux of the message. Just that you and I have a bigger view of God. That you and I no longer see God through our problem, but we see our problem through God. Because that's the ultimate thing that needs to happen in our Christian life. That we no longer see this problem, that it's just you and the problem. But we see that we've added an extra equation here, that God is thrown into the mix. And when God is there, great things can happen. And so we just preached on it out of Isaiah 40, just kind of one of those awesome Mount Everest passages of the Bible. And we just kind of parked it there, and it was exciting. And this week I was thinking about, yes, God is bigger, God is great, God is awesome. And that was kind of our, our message title, is God is bigger, God is better, and God is greater. And uh, I began to think about this week, but yet some things came up this week, where even though God was so big, he still felt very far away. Anybody else ever felt like that? Can I get some other human beings who would be honest and say, yep. God's felt like that. Like, I understand God is big, I understand God is great, I understand God is better, but, God, still, there's some moments where I'm like, God, I'm praying. God, I'm fasting. God, I'm going to church. God, I'm being good. But you just feel really distant right now. And I thought I'm doing everything I can to draw this relationship closer. But, God, you just feel so distant right now. And so that's why I feel like this message is so important. Because, really, we're going to study what is the Bible in the very deep theological term is the omnipresence of God. And sometimes we don't necessarily get to just dive into these deep theological topics, but we at Southridge Baptist Church, we're going to try to do things that are cutting edge, we're going to try to do things like that, but we're also going to try and keep things deep, but yet in a relevant way. How can I best illustrate it? This week, uh, my wife and I, we exercise, we've been doing P90X for the last two months, Okay. And I've been doing this P90X stuff, just grueling, hate it, just shoot me, I can't stand it, I complain, I whine like a little girl throughout the entire thing, and that's not a slam on any of the ladies in here, I'm just saying I whine and complain whenever I have to work out, okay? So um, my wife, she's big into it, she does 
she does a great job, and she just goes at it. And uh, I just can't stand plyo, okay? Anything with plyometrics. I'm like, forget it. I hate it. Can't stand it. And then we started doing these other workouts, and the guy's name is Tony, who leads these workouts. And Tony had you doing all kinds of workouts. And at the end of the day, I'm like, okay, what's Tony got in store for me today? I pushed the little DVD in, and man, he just goes to work. And I'm just dead after 45 minutes. I'm just wiped out. Well, I realized some of the exercises Tony has you doing aren't the normal exercises, okay? Because what we like to do when we go to the gym is we like to work the extremities. You say, what do you mean? We like to work the arms. We like to work the legs. But mostly, if you're a dude, most of the dudes just like to work the arms. We just want big guns, okay? That's what it's all about. You got big guns, it's all good. Problem is, we've all seen that guy in the gym who's got the big guns, but then he's got little little string bean legs. You ever seen that? You know, you've seen better legs on a peacock. I mean, it's just like there's nothing there. If you got in a fight with this guy, you wouldn't be intimidated because you just know, I just got to blow you over, man. I just got to push you down because you haven't been working everything. You just focus on the extremities. And so Tony's like, no, no, we need to work the, work the core. And I didn't really understand what the whole core concept was because he said it doesn't really matter if you have big extremities if your core is weak it's all about the core strengthening the core and those core exercises man i'm dead i'm dying but he said hey that's the most important part is to work the core now i began to think of that in a spiritual sense what is the core of our walk with god You see, I love messages that are on relationships, okay? That's great. I love messages that are about parenting, raising children. I love messages that are about dealing with little little side extremity issues. But what's core to Christianity is God. But how many times do we get into church and it's like, okay, we're dealing with the core today. Now, I'll, I'll be honest, I go into far too many churches, and don't get me wrong, it's great stuff. It really is. I'm not trying to blast another church, but I'm saying let's not forget what is core, and God is core to our faith. But I'm amazed at how little Christians know about God these days. I mean, they'll say God is love, and then they'll, you'll say, well, how does that apply to you? I don't know. God is just love. And they'll say, well, God is present. Well, how does that apply to you? I don't know. I'm still worrying, still afraid. And so you can see what they know, knowledge, hasn't translated into actual wisdom where they're living it out and they're walking in that. So we're going to learn these core issues, but we're not just going to learn it so we can fill our heads with some knowledge so we're smarter than the next guy. That's not what I'm, and what I'm here for, and I, I hope that's not why you came. Just you can walk out of here and be like, I learned some new deep theological word. I mean, I make up half the Greek stuff I tell you anyway, okay? I just wanted to sound impressive, all right? So don't get like, oh, man, that Greek is so awesome. I feel so smart right now. No, 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 no. It's, it's about how much do you apply? How much of this are you going to take and you're going to say, I'm going to walk out and this is going to change my life. And I'm going, to, I'm going to use this to influence somebody else's life. So we're talking about core issues when we talk about God is, okay? And so we're taking the next eight weeks and we're really diving into what is this core that God is central to our faith. I went to college in Lancaster. Some of the uh, people in here, they've been there, they've visited there, they've sent children there. And uh, when I got there in 2002, the college wasn't very big. It only was about 500 students. They were excited about 500 students in this small Bible college. And uh, they didn't have very many dorms. And so I wasn't even able to live on campus. They said, hey, our dorms are full. I said, well, I registered for college. So what's the deal? I got to get an apartment, a hotel. They were like, no. Uh, last week, we bought this old dilapidated farmhouse. 
And uh, you'll find your room. Your room leader will be out there. Your roommates are all out there. So I drove. It's not far. It's about a quarter of a mile, not too far. Any of the uh, Lancaster people know where Avenue K was? Anybody remember the K dorm? There's a few of you know Avenue K. All right, there's a few in here. All right, they know the K dorm is. They should just blow that thing up, okay? Honestly, they should just blow it up, just end that, okay? So um, I walked in, and it's a house, an old farmhouse. Um, there was problems with showers, problems with the plumbing. Don't take a shower when somebody flushes that toilet, okay? It's just all bad. We won't get any more descriptive than that, but it's just all bad. Let me tell you, okay? So this house had all kinds of problems, and I walk in. I was like, all right, where's my room? And I turned, and there literally was a coat closet that they stuck a bunk bed in, and that was my room, all right? So you turn, and I'm like, I paid how much for this, you know? This is how you know God was in it, okay, that I stayed. And so I still made it out there, but we had a blast because there was no security at Avenue K. The security was like, the campus. And so that meant all kinds of fun happened out there, okay? Just all kinds of good times, all right? That's where the whole, if you were here for my sheep killing sermon, that's where that all happened, okay? So the potato gun and the sheep, that, that happened because of Avenue K. Well, at Avenue K, there was a guy, his name was Justin, and he came out of one of the other coat closets, one of the other rooms, and uh, he was just praying, and, and he looked at me in the eye, and he said, Micaiah, do you know God? And I said, I'm at Bible college. I'm here to serve God. I'm here to train for the ministry. Yes, I know God. He said, no, no, no. I didn't ask you if you knew God. I asked you if you know God. And I said, oh, this is a totally different question. You're asking a much deeper question. It's not enough for us just to know God anymore. It's got to be in here. It can't be enough for us just to say, I know God at the workplace. It's got to be in here because if it's in here, it, it'll, it'll influence our workplace. It can't be enough, mom and dad, just to know it up here. It's got to be in here because that will influence the marriage. That will influence the other relationships. It's got to be in our hearts because the Bible says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Okay, So if it's in our heart, it's going to come out out of the, out of the abundance of the heart of the issues of life. Okay, So everything flows through this heart. So when we're talking about God, we're not just talking about, hey, this is great knowledge, this will help you, this will be encouraging. We're talking about how to live this out. So when we say God is here, I want us to see it in a whole new light this morning. We're going to be in Genesis chapter number 45, and we're going to start in verse number one, but here's the deal. Many of us, we've grown up in the church. Some of us know we haven't, so we hear about the story of Joseph, and all of a sudden we're like, I got this one. I watched the movie. I'm going to check out. I'm going to get a little extra sleep because I know about Joseph. And I'm sure some of you do. And, uh, but I'm going to go back over the entire story, start in chapter 37 and get us caught up to chapter 45. Now, I'm going to do this very quickly. So don't just tune me out or something because we're going to learn some really important things because you may or may not know that Joseph is a picture of Jesus Christ. And I'm going to show you that through this passage is awesome. All the types of Christ are found in the life of Joseph. But in Genesis chapter 37, we meet this character of Joseph. Now, Joseph's father is Jacob. Jacob wrestled with the angel and God changed his name to Israel. Now, Jacob has all kinds of family problems. Now, you may be sitting here and say, uh-huh, amen, preacher there. I got family problems, okay? No, no, no. He didn't have family problems like you got family problems. I mean, he had real family problems, okay? Um, his dad had two wives and two concubines, and the wives and the concubines would argue about who would have the most kids. They had all kinds of issues, and there was all kinds of things going on. And then Joseph brought them to this environment where his dad favors Joseph because Joseph was the oldest son of his favorite wife. 
Okay, so you know right there there's going to be some issues that he had a favorite wife. The favorite wife's name was Rachel, and then he had another wife whose name was Leah. The Bible says that Rachel was fair and beautiful to look on, and then the Bible says that Rachel, well, she was teary-eyed. Now, when you do a little study about that, I mean, she was kind of plain, okay, just kind of homely, just, just she wasn't a Rachel, okay? And so... Jacob favored Rachel. Well, Rachel's oldest son is Joseph. Even though Joseph isn't the oldest in the household, Jacob favors Joseph and gives him a coat of many colors. Some of us know that part of the biblical narrative. And Joseph has this coat. Not only does he have this coat, but then he starts dreaming these dreams where his brother's going to bow down. Well, his brothers were already upset that his father had shown him favor. Now they're upset that he's dreaming these dreams and the rest of the family's going to bow down. Imagine if your youngest son, your youngest daughter came and said at the breakfast table, I dreamed that you all started worshiping me, okay? So, uh, you know, that's just one of these dreams I had. You would say, uh, I could just see the dialogue going. It wouldn't be very happy. Well, his 11 other brothers didn't like this, or actually his 10 other, his younger brother Benjamin was still much younger. So he had 10 older brothers, and they didn't care for Joseph very much. Matter of fact, they didn't like him so much that when Jacob sent Joseph out to go check on him, they saw him coming, and they said, what are we going to do with this guy? And they caught him. They threw him in an old abandoned well. And then they had this debate above, as Joseph can hear them. They debated, do we sell him or do we kill him? Now, I know you got all kinds of family problems, maybe. Maybe you grew up in a dysfunctional family. I'm telling you, you probably didn't have that conversation where you're stuck at the bottom of a well. As you can hear everybody above you saying, do we kill him? Do we slay him? Do we barbecue him? Do we roast him? What do we do? Ah, oh, let's make some money off of him. So they sell him to the Midianites. He goes off to Egypt. In Egypt, he's sold to a slave. Uh, he's sold to one of the masters. This master's name is Potiphar. And you can see, we'll get to it, how God is weaving. He's in this situation. But Potiphar sets Joseph over his household. And Joseph serves as a slave for years in Potiphar's household. The Bible says that Potiphar's wife set her eyes on Joseph and lusted on him and wanted him to commit uh, fornication with her. And Joseph said, no, not going to happen. Joseph lost his cloak. You'll see another interesting side note. Joseph's life is always categorized by a change of clothes. Every time something happens significant, he gets a new set of clothes, all right? His dad gave him a jacket. All of a sudden, his life gets turned around. Here, uh, Potiphar's wife comes and takes that coat. He gets a new set of coat, and there's another page and chapter in his life turning. So if you ever want to just study that, it's real interesting. I'm telling you what, there's a lot of stuff here. We don't have time to get into it. And so he's he's falsely accused. Potiphar uh, uh, is angry that his wife said what he had done, and, and, and he throws Joseph into not just any prison, but throws him into the one where all the big bad guys in Egypt went to. That's where Joseph was thrown. And Joseph spends two years in that prison. After two years, he is released because Pharaoh has a dream and Joseph can interpret dreams. And Joseph comes before Pharaoh once again, changing his clothes, the Bible says, and shaving, okay? So once again, a new change in his life. And Joseph interprets the dream for Pharaoh. Pharaoh makes him his right hand. And for the next nine years... Joseph is now the right-hand man for 
Pharaoh, okay? There were seven years where there was plenty. There was, the harvest was great. They were wealthy. Egypt was thriving. The economy is great. And then there's going to be seven years of famine, okay? Now we're kind of almost to chapter 45. And in these seven years of famine, the first two of them, not in Egypt, but in Hebron, where Joseph's father and ten brothers are, the famine's so bad they run out of food. There's no food to feed their animals. There's no food to feed their children. There is no food, but yet one of the brothers heard that there's food in Egypt. So Jacob sends ten of his sons, keeping Benjamin, says, go to Egypt and get food, okay? Well, while there, guess who they should run into? Joseph. I'm telling you what, the Bible is not boring. If you look at it, you'll see, man, this is an awesome story. Like, this would make a great movie. This is incredible. Just the way it reads. Well, Joseph sees his ten brothers, and man, it's off to prison. It's off with their heads. It's killed. That's not what he does. But Joseph still hides the fact that he's Joseph. See, his brothers do think he's dead. They said, no way. No way. Because nine years that he ruled for... Pharaoh, plus the two years he's in prison, there's 11 years. For 22 years, Joseph has had no contact. And then for another 9 to 10 years, 11 years, he's with uh, Potiphar in his house as a slave. So for 22 years has passed. So his brothers, they've forgotten about Joseph. It's been 22 years. Joseph's long gone, okay? So they have no clue. And here's Joseph. Joseph learned the culture. Joseph is married. Joseph has two sons. And here is Joseph. And here's another sidebar, how we know Joseph's picture of Christ. Joseph was rejected by his brethren, the Israelites, the Jews. He's accepted by the Gentiles, and he marries the Gentile bride. Jesus was rejected by the Jews, but yet he chose a Gentile bride. That is the church, okay? So the picture of Christ is woven in here. It's fascinating, okay? But we're almost at chapter 45. But Joseph cannot yet reveal that, hey, I'm Joseph. And so some things happen. He throws Simeon in prison for three days and three nights. Interesting. How long do you think Joseph was in the bottom of that well? Three days and three nights. How long was Jesus Christ in the tomb? Three days and three nights. There's tons of pictures here of Jesus Christ. I'm telling you, it's awesome. And so he throws Simeon in jail. He sends his brothers back without revealing. He sends them back home with their money, with their food. But he says, do not come back unless you bring Benjamin back to me. I need to know if Benjamin's here, okay? Well, time goes by, and they're worried as they're traveling back. They realize that they have all their money, they have all their food, and they're thinking something's gone wrong. This is bad. We can't go back to Egypt because they're going to think we stole all this money. Well, time passes. They've eaten all the food. And so Jacob comes to Judah, the oldest brother, and says, we've got to go back to Egypt. And Judah says, Dad, we can't go back to Egypt. He said the only way we could go back is if we bring Benjamin with us to come back, and we can't do that. We can't bring Benjamin. And his father wrestled with it, and they are going to starve. So all of a sudden, they do bring Benjamin back, and they, now it's 11 brothers returning to uh, Egypt. Joseph throws a feast for them. And during the feast, he gives all the brothers, he lines them up in birth order, which they thought was crazy, because they were like, how does this guy know our birth order? It's Joseph. And yet he gives them all a change of clothes, but yet he gives Benjamin five changes of clothes. All right? And in this passage, all of a sudden, now he says, okay, you all can go back, but Benjamin stays here. And this is where Judah speaks up. And Judah says, I'm sorry. You will break. My, my father will die if Benjamin does not come back. My father will. It'll break his heart. You've got to let Benjamin go home. But keep me instead. All right? This is an emotionally high 
charged moment. Okay, now we're set up for chapter 45. Notice, now we're going to read chapter 45. Okay, notice what happens in verse number one. Then Joseph could not refrain himself before all of them that stood by him. And he cried. Twice before, Joseph had cried when he saw his brothers, but he wouldn't reveal himself. And Joseph at this point, because who was there to stick up for Joseph when Joseph was in a pit? But finally, here's the younger brother that Joseph wanted to see. Had my brother's hearts changed? And here Judah says, I'll take his place. He can't stay. My father will die. He will die if Jeb Benjamin doesn't come back. And Joseph loses it. And he caused every man to go out from him. And there stood no man with him while Joseph made himself known unto his brethren. And he wept aloud. And the Egyptians in the house of Pharaoh heard. This was not just any cry. For 22 years he's cried. But i got to stop here. And I, I'm, I'm, the, the main bulk of the sermon is going to go real quick. But this part, we've got to lay a good foundation. For 22 years, Joseph has not seen his brother. Brethren, of course he's crying. Of course he's breaking down. But here's the question I've got to ask you. If nine years he was the right hand of Pharaoh, Hebron is six days away from Egypt, why didn't he go home? Come on, don't look at this passage the way you've always heard it preached, people. Throw yourself into the story. That's when the Bible comes alive to us. But the reason when you look at this passage, the way that you, you see it like this, because that's just the way you've heard it preached. Nine years, he's got a chariot. Right hand of Pharaoh. I'm sure he got at least two weeks vacation a year. Come on. Why didn't he go home? You're close. Here's why. And this week I studied in, you're going to laugh, the Torah. I went to the Mishnah. I went to all these things to get my question because I couldn't figure it out. And here's what I realized. Joseph didn't know if his father really cared. You say, what do you mean? No, 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 no. Joseph knew his father cared. Wait, did he? The last conversation he had with his father, his father sent him into danger. Does that sound like father who cares? The last conversation he had with the dad, he told his dad, hey, you're going to bow down and worship me. His dad didn't like that conversation. So the last two recorded conversations Joseph had with his father, did they go well? No, they didn't go very well. But here Joseph, he had nine years, and the reason he didn't go home, because he didn't know that his brothers had told his father that he's dead. You see, we read this story, we think Joseph read the story like we read this story. We didn't, Joseph didn't have this knowledge. Joseph didn't have the Pentateuch, the first five books of the law, where he could read, hey, this is going to be a happy ending. All right, 22 years, it's going to suck. But guess what? After that, it's going to be great. I'm going to give you the ruler. It's going to be awesome, but I just got to go through hell for a little while. No, it's not how he got to go through it. He didn't get to see it. He walked by faith, folks. He had no clue that things were going to work out. When he was a slave, his life was property. His life could have been ended at any moment. When he was in prison, that was where that, that was death row, folks. He didn't know what was going to happen, okay? So let's stop looking at the Bible like, oh, this is just going to turn out. And we're going to start seeing what God is doing here. You see, Joseph didn't know if his father cared. He didn't know what his brothers had told him. He had no knowledge that his brother said he's dead. So to Joseph's mind, it's like, hey, dad never came and got me. He thought his brothers would have said, you know what? We sold him, Dad. That's kind of what he, he was kind of thinking. Because that's what happened. He figured he would have at least a couple of years would go, Dad, you know, we did something really bad, really stupid. Yeah, you know, and we kind of liken it to us. Oh, man, we, we, whenever we get caught with something, we don't just come right away and say, oh, man, I can't believe I did this. Well, Joseph thought his brothers 
would tell his dad the truth that we sold him. Where'd you sell him? Egypt. We got to go get him now. For years, he waited. 13 years as a slave, he just waited. My dad's not coming. So for nine years, the reason he never went and saw his family, he thought they didn't care. But guess what? Joseph asked this question. Notice verse number three, and Joseph said unto his brethren, I am Joseph, doth my father yet live? That's a funny question to ask, isn't it? Because he had already asked previously twice, does my father live? You see, at this point, now he realizes, dad didn't know. Dad didn't know what you guys did to me. Dad didn't know where I've been. Dad didn't know all these things. Dad didn't know. Dad didn't know what was going on. And so now this emotion is just ripping through. And all of a sudden, we think Joseph is just, he had this calm, this peace. That's the reason he wept, people. It wasn't just because, all oh, the emotion's good. To, I love you. I hug. It's not like when you go see distant relatives you haven't seen in a while. It was that all these years he thought his dad didn't care. Dad didn't love him. What did Jesus ask on the cross? Why hast thou forsaken me? Joseph felt forsaken. He felt abandoned. He thought, God has left me here. The fellowship's been broken. How can a God so big be so distant? But God is here. We're going to see that. And so Joseph, he's going through this emotion, this pain. And all of a sudden we come to verse number four. And Joseph said to his brother, they come near to me, I pray you. And they came near and said, I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into Egypt. Now, therefore, be not grieved nor angry with yourselves that you sold me hither. And this is an amazing statement. For God did send me before you to preserve life. You know, I used to think Joseph had that speech rehearsed. Because whenever I have these big speeches in my life, I have them rehearsed. When I was going to propose to my wife that if somebody falls, I had a little piece of paper. I had my little speech rehearsed. Whenever I give a speech, I have a little speech rehearsed. And so I kind of assumed that Joseph, he had his nice little speech rehearsed. But I'm going to tell you what, folks. He didn't know. But all of a sudden, he was looking back on 22 years in a span of a few moments. After he asked these questions, he sent his brothers through these kind of weird tests. Now it hits him. Now he understands why God allowed him to go through 22 years of pain and suffering and loss and heartache and burden. And that's why he said, God sent me before you to preserve your lives. It's like the light bulb came on. Talk about a tough lesson to learn, but it took 22 years. And then he finally realized, God, you were in all of this. Incredible. 22 years he felt abandoned. 22 years he felt alone. And all of a sudden he said, God did send me. Oh, to God, that we could have such a reaction. Oh, to God, that we could go through a trial, that we could go through a difficulty, and we could say, God is here. God sent me before you. Then he said, for these two years hath the famine been in the land, and yet there are five years in the which there shall neither be ear of harvest. And God sent me before you to preserve you a posterity in the earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. All of a sudden, Joseph, it's like he gets it. God, all the pain. 13 years of slave, two years in prison, nine years in, 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 in Pharaoh's household. I get it, God. I get it. You see, it took a while. Some of you want an answer to why you're going through what you're going through right now. And I want answers, too, for some things I'm going through. But here's what I realized this week. When life is uncertain, God is still certain. When life is uncertain, God is Still certain throughout all of what Joseph went through. And we don't have time to 
Go to the depths of it. You see, just like Jesus was sent from heaven to a foreign land, Joseph was sent out from his family into a foreign land. Here is Joseph. He's in a situation that he never thought he'd find himself. And I want to speak a few words in the next few minutes. Because I want you to understand how great it is to realize that God is here. What does that do for us that we realize that God is here? First of all, when life seems to be unraveling, God is here. When your life just seems like it's just coming apart here, Pastor. It's just like everything I touch just dies. It just withers. But I want you to understand that when life is unraveling, God is here. Because why? God is certain when life is uncertain. That God is here. And no longer is that just the abstract. That God is here in the midst of your situation. Just like he was there with Joseph. And it took Joseph 22 years to realize it. I want you to understand something. Joseph had no pastor, no podcast, no church, no fellowship, no Bible, no friends. Nothing to remind him of God. But yet 22 years he never lost sight of that God was there. We are so blessed that we have churches all over this country. We are so blessed that we have the whole word of God in any language. We are so blessed that I can turn on the TV and I can hear about God. I can turn on the radio and I can hear about God. I can go online and I can read about God. I can hear about God. So why do I feel like God isn't here? God is more here than he's ever been, Christian. God is all over this place. And yet we still go through life thinking, God, I know you're so big, but what I'm going through, you just feel so distant. And God is here to remind you, Christian, that you may not be able to trace his hand, but you can trace his heart. And God says, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I have not abandoned you. I am with you. When life is unraveling, God is here, Christian. Can I get an amen? I want us to realize that because you're going to face some dark days. You're going to face some days where you're going to think, what is God up to? Where are you, God? And God is doing something because God had a purpose to fulfill and he's got a purpose to fulfill in your life see joseph realized it he said i get it god you sent me here to prepare a way so that they can have life you sent me i've got a purpose christian god has an awfully big purpose for your life and everything you're going through right now is god course correcting your life's purpose and god saying hey i've got to get you to fulfill this purpose and as you some of you you can look back on your life and you can trace god's hand you can see it because you've got the hindsight. Some of us, we're still looking forward. We're still wondering. I remember when we were about to expect our first baby. We had no clue what to expect. I was like, do I bring a catcher's mitt in just in case? I mean, how does this thing go? I'm not sure, all right? I mean, just, just help me out with this thing. I mean, I got a wooden spoon. Does she need to bite down on that? I mean, I've seen this happen in the movies, um, you know, and I'm like, as long as it doesn't happen, a taxi cab, you know? And so we get there, and you're in the doctor. You don't know what's going on. You don't know what to expect. And some of us, that's life. We just, we just don't know, God, you know, what's going to happen? How's this going to work out? And then after that first one, you're just like, wow, we've got a baby. That's incredible how that happened. That's a miracle. And we just kind of look back and we think, why are we so afraid? Why are we so worried? There was all kinds of doctors, all kinds of nurses. There was all kinds of people to help us there. We were the only people having birth that June morning. And it was like the whole hospital. They were all right there just waiting for little baby Megan, okay? And so we had nothing to fear. I want you to understand, Christian, you may not be able to figure out what God is doing, but you have the host of heaven just waiting to help. 
just waiting to be there. God has not abandoned you because when life is unraveling, God is here. He's fulfilling his purpose in you. Philippians 2.13 says, For it is God which worketh in you, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Then verse 14 says, Then do all things without complaining and without disputing. God's like, hey, I'm doing this through you, so don't complain. Because I like to complain. I complain all the time. I complain at restaurants. I complain at home. I complain everywhere. I complain when I get to church. I am a class A complainer. I complain all the time. Why? Because I like to worry. I like to worry if anybody's going to show up. I like to worry about what's going to happen. I like to worry about the future. I like to sit and watch TV and just worry. Why? Because I complain. But God wants to remind us that he is working. So stop complaining. Stop worrying about it. So in the midst of your situation, when life seems to be unraveling, God is here. See, God's purpose is not limited by your past. But you cannot fulfill God's purpose in your life while focusing on your pain. Did you hear me, Christian? You cannot fulfill God's purpose while focusing on your pain. And I'm telling you what, that's a hard one. So difficult. Because my pain is so big sometimes. My heart aches so much. And we see so much suffering in this world. But God says, eyes on me, Christian. Eyes on me. Because in our world, I think we've missed what it is like pain. I began to study this week. All, all throughout growing up, I always heard people preach on leprosy. And they always talk about how gross and debilitating it was. And I just thought, man, leprosy in the Bible, this was just game over. This is horrible. And they would talk about, man, leprosy, give you, your skin would rot off, your nose would fall off pussing, oozing, all this stuff, bad stuff would happen. And then I actually began to study science, and none of that actually happens. You know what actually happens because of leprosy? You don't feel anything. You feel nothing. So little kids in third world countries can bite off their own finger and bleed out because they didn't feel a thing. Nerve system, totally shot. You can accidentally hurt yourself, bite through your tongue, never know it. And never know that it needs healing. Never know that there's pain there. So you never treat it. No antiseptic. No bandage. And so it just festers. And it gets uh, infected. And so it just permeates. And it oozes. And it pusses. Because you feel no pain. Imagine if you didn't feel any pain. I hate to feel pain. I especially hate when my kids or my wife feels pain. But I'm looking at pain in a whole new light. What if we didn't have pain? Did you know the same receptors that send Pain signals to your brain are the same receptors that send pleasure to your brain. Don't get one without the other. Think of how much pain Joseph went through. He's a slave. He was in prison. He was threatened to be murdered by his own brothers. But yet, look at this joy that comes out in chapter 45, where he is just weeping for joy. The Bible talks about the psalmist wrote that there's joy comes in the morning. That you're going to go through those night seasons. You're going to go through those dark times. But God says joy is coming in the morning. That there may be pain, but there's joy is coming. That peace is coming. God is sending it. You see, when life seems unfair, remember God was there. This message is a different one because when we talk about the omnipresence of God, you have to understand something. We often think in future tense. But God says when you're relating to me, you need to think of past, present, and future tense. So we like to look at our past and say God was unfair. And God says, no, 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 I was still there. Matter of fact, we may not have a whole lot of time, but in chapter 39, verse number 2, you know how Joseph got the promotion of Potiphar's house? The Bible specifically says that God was with him. 
God was with him. Matter of fact, later on in the passage, Joseph's thrown into prison. And once again, the Bible reiterates the point that God was with Joseph. Nobody was there to tell him that. But God was just there. And you may be looking at your past. These are some of the most awful moments in Joseph's history. As a slave and in prison on death row. And God said, I was there. You didn't walk through that alone. You didn't walk through that disease alone. You didn't walk through that divorce. You didn't walk walk through that trial. You didn't walk through the job loss. You didn't walk, walk through anything alone. I was there. I was there. When you're looking at life and you're saying, it's all unfair. Life, you did me wrong. I deserve better. We feel like God abandoned us. We feel like, how could a God so big just leave us? You know why it seems unfair, but God was doing it to prepare you for someday. Not only to fulfill his purpose, but to prepare you. Prepare you for something great. I remember several years ago when uh, Megan had her first shots. I'm not a big fan of shots. I hate shots. Anything to do with shots. I can't even look at needles, okay? I'll pass out. I literally will if I see needles. It's just it's, it's game over for me. And so Megan was going in for her like six-month shots around Christmas time. We took her. And for whatever reason, my wife, she's just totally, shots are cool. I mean, I don't know what's wrong with her upstairs, but she's fine with shots. Shots are a-okay. And I remember as Megan maybe took out her dad because when it was time to get her shots, she starts crying and she starts kind of freaking out a little bit. And I remember what the nurse said, very kind. And she said, it may not seem good to you, but it's good for you. And I think about this song. Sometimes rain is good, but then sometimes we're like, wait a minute, no, no, I wasn't planning for this. But the blessings come with raindrops. And sometimes what doesn't seem good to us is the best thing for us. And those shots that gave her those, the, those ability to fight off disease was so critical. And so you may think what God did in the past was unfair. Why would you do that? And God's saying, I have a much bigger plan. So the job for us, and this is what's amazing, Joseph's response, his response was to receive it. That God, you put me in here, and instead of doing a horrible job as a slave, he did the best job he could. I would have been kicking and screaming, saying, I'm escaping. It's six days to Hebron. I can make that. I can run like mad. I will get home. I will figure it out. I've watched Shawshank Redemption. I will dig, and I will dig, and I will dig. I'm going home. He doesn't do that. 13 years, he just stayed. And he began to be the right-hand guy. In prison, same thing. I would have found the best lawyer. I would have lawyered up. I would have said, this is unfair. This is unjust. I'm going to fight this. He didn't. Matter of fact, the guy, the main guy over the prison said, Joseph, here's the keys to the prison. Help take care of everybody else. Who in a jail gives inmates Keys. Nobody. But Joseph had keys in prison. And he's there serving the other prisoners. Joseph wasn't just about to lay down and say, oh man, my life's terrible. Woe is me. I'm going to go eat worms. going to hide in the corner. going to end it. He received it. That's a lesson for us. His response was to receive it. Whatsoever state I am, the great apostle Paul said, therewith to be content. Wow. To receive it. And that's awfully hard when you're facing that doctor's notice that you never want to get. That's awfully hard when you hear that news that somebody you love dearly 
you won't see again. That is so hard. And I'm not here to belittle anybody's pain. I'm not here to say it's just so easy. Just get over it. Because we lose people. We hurt. We're human. And it's so hard to receive it. I want you to know this is, this is easy for me to say. It's hard for you to hear. And I realize that. It's easy for me to just say, just, just receive the bad things. Just take it. Just, just suck it up. Just stick out your chest. Just kind of make it. Just hum a little song. Life will be okay. Pain is real. Pain is hard. And I'm tired of preachers who just want to minimize it. Who just want to escape it. And just want to make it like it never existed. It exists. There are little babies around the world that are being killed. There are babies in America that are being executed. There are people whose lives are being taken. There's tragedy all over this world. And it's not because God is unfair. It's because God is saying this world is broken. It was broken by sin. And all the pain and all the suffering is to remind us that this world is broken. And this world is not our home. We have a better home. We have a better home one day. And God is saying, through all this pain, I want your attention on me to realize that there's going to be a day in heaven where God said, I will wipe every tear from your eye. The creator of the universe is going to wipe every tear from your eye. You fathers and mothers know how that goes. A little son, a little daughter comes to you. What do you do? You get down on one knee. You grab maybe a part of your clothes. You wipe those tears, and what do you say? It's going to be okay. I'm right here. You wipe those tears. And all of a sudden, even though they got that skinned up knee, even though they've got that bruise, they hear those words from you. And they suck it up. They get up. It's better. And God is saying, I'm going to do that for you. All that pain. All that misery. God said, I am here. So we can receive it. Not only receive it, remain in it. Joseph, stay, folks. God is asking you to stay. God is asking you to fight. God is asking you to remain in it. There's a horrible story on the news right now. And my heart goes out to Brittany Maynard. Her picture's on the screen. Maybe you read about it on CNN. November 1st. She's decided to take a pill to end her life. My heart breaks for her. There is no condemnation. There is no judgment in my heart towards her. But for somebody to be going under so much pain where they feel like I need an escape, where they feel like I need to escape, pain. But the reality that she's missing out is her husband doesn't get to have those last moments with her. Her children don't get to have those final moments with their mom. She says, no, no, no. I'm going to escape this. And I know the suffering and the pain is real. But let me tell you what, Christian. That's not God's plan. Jesus Christ, what did he say on the cross? Before the cross, Garden of Gethsemane. If it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Jesus understood pain. Don't think you serve a God who doesn't understand pain. He understands pain. And he said, I don't want to go through that pain. Just like you would not sign up for pain. God says, I didn't, I don't want to sign up for this. He went through it. Matter of fact, they even said, hey, just end it now. 
Just call 10,000 angels. Get up off of that cross. But Jesus remained. He said, I'm going to see this thing through. My heart goes out to Brittany. We need to pray for her. Pray that she makes a different decision. I know it's suffering. I know it's hard. But I use this illustration because I feel like sometimes in church, we got some people, they feel like, I'm done. I'm done with church. I'm done with the Bible. I'm done with God. I'm just done with it all. Just me and my pain, we're just going to go. Maybe you're not tempted to end your life. Maybe you're not tempted to leave your spouse. Maybe you're not tempted to just quit your job. But you're tempted to find some escape. And maybe that escape is through an illicit affair. Maybe that escape is through alcohol. Maybe that escape is through drugs. Maybe that escape is through something else. Where you just disengage because you want to escape the reality of that life is painful. But I'm asking you this morning to remain Stay. The Bible talks about all throughout the scriptures, especially in 1 Corinthians 15. Be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. But you just remain. God never called you to say, hey, I, I want you to do this great thing, but God does call you to be faithful. God wants you to be faithful, to stay the course, to keep going. It's too soon to walk out now. It's too soon to quit. It's too soon to give up. You know, a lot of times, we want to. What about your favorite sports team? You ever watched it fourth quarter? You're yelling at the TV at the top of your lungs. You're quitting. We still got 12 minutes. Get off your lazy good-for-nothing behind and get out there and play some ball. I don't care if it's cold. Get out there and play. You're throwing chips and nachos at the TV and you're frustrated. Things are popping out at your neck because you're like, you're quitting. You got another quarter. Keep going. Some of you parents, your kids playing. Megan started soccer and it's like the biggest frustration. And I thought I would be the one that was like, Megan, you get out there to play and tear up all those other little kids and kick their butts. And she's just four years old. And it's actually my wife. She's scary, soccer mom. Don't get in her way. She will mess you up, okay? She's crazy out there. I just take Austin and say, we're going to go now. We're going to go. I'm crazy, all right? And we just kind of go. But she's like, Megan, here to go in there. Here to score. Go, go, go. And she's intense. But I'm going to tell you what. Everybody needs somebody like that. That it's not time to give up. It's not time to quit. It's time to remain. Who's going to show up in the cold? Who's going to show up when it's hard? Who's going to show up when it's difficult? Anybody can show up when the sun is shining and everything's going all right. But who's going to show up when things stink, when life is rough? Who's going to show up and say, I'm here? Yeah, it's early, but I'm at church. I don't feel great, but I'm here. Yeah, I don't always feel the best at work, but I'm still going to be a Christian at work. I don't always feel the best at home, but I'm still going to love my kids and love my spouse. I'm still going to show up. God gave me this trial. He trusts me with this trial. I'm going to show up for this trial. I'm not going to let this thing beat me. I am here. And I'm not going to walk away. We're here, church. We're not ready to just walk away. God is telling you this morning that his presence helps you to realize that you can remain in the middle of this trial. Don't walk out. It's too soon to walk out. And lastly, not only when life seemed unfair, God was there. I said we have to look at God, not just in present or future tense, but past, present, and future. You see, you're going to have pain. You're going to have problems not only here and now. You didn't have problems not only in the past, but guess what? The problems will face you in the future. 
We don't just get to hear one message and all of a sudden that wipes away all the pain like everything's honky-dory. There's still pain. Life is still real. Joseph's father is still going to die. Bad things are still going to happen. Life is still going to happen. There's still five years of famine, folks. But I want you to see something. And we said and we alluded to it. When life seems uncertain, God will be there. He said, God sent me ahead of you to preserve you a posterity. That's meant to preserve your children and your grandchildren. See, without Joseph, there's no Moses. With no Moses, you don't have the children of Israel leaving Egypt 400 years later. you got to have that Joseph. Joseph was the key. And Joseph said, you know what? God sent me here to preserve them. You see, folks, difficulty is going to come, but God will meet you there. See, God is not just saying, I'm not just here, but I want you to get this, okay? Here's present, here's past, and there's future. God says, I'm not just here, Christian, but I was there, and get this, I will be there. I will meet you. So that next trial, you don't need to be afraid of it. You don't need to live in fear, because God says, I'll meet you there. I don't just show up when it's good. God says, I'm there all the time. I'm there. And God will meet you. You don't need to be afraid of life. You don't need to be afraid of what's going to happen. God says, I'll meet you there. Because God says, I'm omnipresent. What does that mean to us? See, God said, hey, there is a purpose. See, when life is uncertain, God will be there. Because God wanted to prove something through you. See, God wanted to reveal his glory through Joseph. That was it. To reveal his glory. God said, it's all about me. And I love Joseph's response in this passage. We don't have a lot of time, but the response is actually given in chapter 50, verse number 19. You see, Joseph's father dies a few years later. Joseph's brothers come before Joseph, and they're thinking, now that dad's dead, Joseph's going to get Eden Stephen. And they come to their brother. And the Bible says they fell down, and they worshiped him, and they said, Remember the promise you made, Dad, that you wouldn't kill us. I'm paraphrasing, but they're nervous. Remember the promise. And all of a sudden, Joseph, he breaks down, he weeps again. Hey, man, we just had a funeral. We just got done eating fried chicken at the potluck. Come on. Really? Right now, we're going to have this conversation? Do you really think that's my character? That that now I'm going to get eaten? Now that something's happened? And here's what Joseph says. It's so incredible. He said, fear not, for am I in the place of God? But as for you, you thought evil against me, but God meant it unto good to bring to pass that it is this day to save much people. To bring to pass this day. You see, God had this all figured out. And Joseph is saying, hey, God meant it to get us to this day. Everything you've been through is to get you to this day, this point. And for some of you, this day is an important day. It may be the day you receive Christ for the very first time. It may be the day where you realize God wants me to turn around. God wants me to see my pain in a different light. This is a very special day. And God said it was all for this day. It was all about this day. Here Joseph says, I realize that's what God was doing. To save much people alive. Now therefore, fear ye not. I will nourish you and your little ones. And he comforted them and spake kindly unto them. See, God gets the glory through your story. When we remain, we have the right response. Here we see 
the life of Joseph. What we learn from is to realize that when life seems unbearable, God is here. When life seemed unfair, God was there. When life seems uncertain, God will be there. Because God is not just a great, big, awesome God. He's the God that's here. And God says, I want to prove something awesome through you, to reveal my glory. So will you remain? Will you stay? Will you have the right response? Every head bowed and every eye closed, please.